Four Pointers, when you guys were little, do you remember an adult in your life? Maybe it was your mom or your grandmother, perhaps a coach or a teacher, ever saying these three words to you, look at me. Do y'all remember those words? Y'all remember, right? Because you're laughing, hearing those words, look at me. And the tone of voice with which they were spoken determined their intent, right? There is a difference between look at me and look at me. I, I know that when I was little, my mom used to do that when she really wanted to make sure that I was paying attention to what she was saying. And now that I'm a mom, I do the exact same thing. And I do it with different tones of voice as well. And I want to play the role of a mama to you this morning, if that's all right, if you will indulge me for just a second. And I want to say to each one of you in this room today, look at me. And this is what I want to say next. Listen to me. It is going to be okay. Somebody in this room needs to hear that this morning. It is going to be okay. I know because I have been in your shoes that there is likely an avalanche of emotions that you're feeling right now, right? Some of you are hurt and sad. Some of you are angry and frustrated. Most of us are confused, right? There's an avalanche of emotions that we are experiencing. So what I'm gonna ask you this morning is not that you don't feel those emotions because those emotions are going to come. And one of my very favorite authors, Emily Freeman says, that in a moment like this, emotions are neither right nor wrong, good nor bad, they are just true. And I want you to let your emotions, whatever they are this morning, be true. But I also want you to listen to these words that she has written. The challenge of feeling things deeply and immediately is that the feeling always wants to be the headline. In the past, I thought maturity meant not allowing feelings to have a part in the story at all, wiping them completely away, but that never seemed to work, and for good reason. Denying the emotion was denying my design. Now I'm learning that living a full life means letting the emotions have a voice, but not allowing them to run the whole show. They're allowed a place at the table, but they're just not allowed to sit at the head. That's the challenge. And so as you look at me this morning and as you listen to me this morning, guys, we are feeling deeply, right? Unless you're somebody who has a personality like mine where in the moment there is shock and you don't feel the emotions till a few days later. If that's you, that's okay too. But we are all feeling something this morning, whether it is the sadness, anger, frustration, confusion, or just the shock. We are feeling it because our family is hurting and I think it's important to acknowledge that this morning. Our family is hurting, and for some of us, it's hurting again, right? It's one of those wounds that had started to scar over, and now it's been ripped back open. I want to acknowledge that it's okay for you to feel that way this morning, but we are not going to get stuck in our feelings, Four Points Church. That is not who we are. We are not just a people of feeling. While we were designed to have emotion, that was the design of the creator. We are not designed to be ruled by our emotion because the heart is deceitful above all things, right? That's what the word of God says. And so we cannot trust our heart in this moment to determine what happens next. We have have to choose? Will our emotion and our fear sit at the head of our table? Or will Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, sit at the head of our table? And I don't know about you, but I know me. And when emotion sits at the head, it never goes well. And so today I am choosing Jesus. 
And my question is, who is choosing Jesus with me this morning to sit at the head of this table? We have two choices this morning. We can either choose to walk forward in faith, not knowing necessarily what the path looks like, or we can remain paralyzed in our emotion and our fear. Those are the two choices before us because you can never stay still, can you? You're either moving forward or you're falling backwards. So are we going to walk forward in faith or are we going to fall back because we're paralyzed by all of the unknowns? Listen, moving forward does not mean that we don't feel. It does not mean that there is no sadness or no confusion or no questions. That's not what moving forward in faith means at all. What it means is that we choose to acknowledge that the God we serve who created us and has a plan for us knows more about this situation than we do and we will put our trust in him, not in the things that we don't understand. It means that we will choose to be confident in the goodness and the provision of our God because of what his word says, not because of what our circumstances look like. There is a choice to be made this morning for us corporately as a church, as the body of four points, but also for us individually. And I want to make sure you understand that the choice you make as as an individual, it affects the choices that we make as a church body. Don't think that you can make a choice in isolation and that it affects no one. It affects all of us. And so will we as individuals and as a church choose faith or will we choose fear? James says that the testing of our faith produces something in us. It produces perseverance. And that perseverance is what moves us to maturity and completion, lacking nothing. This is a test of our faith, ladies and gentlemen. Make no mistake. And what it produces in us is determined by us, by what we do next. Listen to this quote. Both faith and fear require you to believe in something that hasn't happened yet. Why not choose faith? That's where we are this morning. So the question in front of us is faith or fear. And listen, it's not just a faith that believes that God exists or believes that Jesus saves, but it is a faith that we get to choose whether or not we believe that God is still good and that God still has a plan and that God is sovereign even in this and that God sees our hurt, that God hears our questions, that God collects our tears in a bottle and that he is going to make himself known even in this. Will we choose faith or will we choose fear? Listen to me this morning. I am not without questions. None of us on staff, none of your leaders are without questions. But I can also tell you, we are not without faith. And our faith is stronger this morning than our questions. Four Points Church, the evidence of the choice that we make this morning in this room at this time will be shown by the fruit that we produce. The word of God says that we will be known by our fruit. And so if we choose faith this morning, there will, be, there will be fruit that comes from that. And if we choose fear this morning, there will be fruit that comes from that as well. And so I want us to think, what does it look like to have a fruit that comes from a place of faith? And because I'm playing the role of a mama this morning, I'm going to switch from the mama who comforts you and tells you everything is going to be okay to the mama that says, listen up. You better get it together. We got things to do. 
Does your mind ever play that role in your life? That's where I'm headed this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Because listen, we do have things to do, right? There are people within walking distance of this church who are hurting and who are hopeless and who do not know our Jesus. And it is our responsibility because they have been put in our sphere of influence to reach them. That is the vision of this church, to reach the least, the lost, the lonely, not to sit in our chairs and say, woe is me, what has happened? That is not what we have been called to do. We will be known by our fruit, So what is the fruit of a church who chooses faith, who chooses to continue to walk forward, to pursue Jesus in the midst of uncertainty? What does that fruit look like? I can tell you what it looks like. It looks exactly today like it looked last week. And next Sunday, it will look like what it looked like six months ago. It is a people who are continuing to not come every morning, consume a donut, drink a cup of coffee and say, how can I be served? But how can I serve my God through this local church? That's what it looks like. It looks like a people who give more than they've ever given before because they are planting a seed in the ground, expecting God to water it and to bring it to harvest. That's what it looks like. A church that continues to give generously even when they don't know what it's going to look like. It looks like a church that continues to reach the least, the lost, the lonely by feeding the hungry, by clothing the naked, by caring for widows and orphans. You see, there will be fruit, make no mistake. It will look like a church that is full of people because you and I know that this thing does not rise or fall on any one person. And we know that we have neighbors and we have coworkers and we have friends and we have family members who are lost and they need our Jesus. And so we are going to say next Sunday and every Sunday after that, come with me, hear the good news. That's what it's going to look like, ladies and gentlemen. But we got to make the choice today. What are we going to choose? As for me in my house, I can tell you what we're choosing. We will serve the Lord. And I am inviting you as the body of believers that I worship with every single week to join me in that. If we really believe that God is who he says he is, this season will not be a setback. It will be a setup for what God is going to do in the future. That is what this season is going to be. We don't know its duration. We don't know how long it's going to last. We do not know what it's going to look like, but we know the God who does know, and that is enough. It is more than enough. This season is not intended to be one in which we sit idly by wondering what's going to happen next. It is a season in which we continue to till the ground and we continue to plow and we continue to plant and we just wait for the harvest. That is this season that we are in. The fruit that we produce, ladies and gentlemen, it is always determined by the health of our roots, is it not? The health of our fruit can be traced to the health of our roots. And if we are rooted in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, we will have rotten fruit. And so the challenge each one of us has to face this morning is, where am I rooted? What am I rooted in? Whom am I rooted in? If it is any one person and his name is not Jesus Christ, we've got some things we need to change. 
And that's why we want to do life together. That's why we believe that we should operate in community. That's why we believe that we are better together because we can point each other to Jesus and we can call each other out when we're looking to anything other than Jesus. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He is the root that we need to be found in. For the past few weeks, we've been going through a series called Victorious, and that was no mistake either, by the way. We didn't know, but God knew. He was teaching us how to be victorious in the midst of some adversity. We have looked at the lives of people like Esther and David and Caleb and Moses, all of these human beings who overcame adversity and who were victorious. And I think there is no better person to look at today than the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at victory through the lens of Jesus. But I want to remind you of some things first. Here is one. We are not victorious because of what Jesus is going to do. We are victorious because of what Jesus has already done. We are not sitting back, church, waiting for the victory. We are not sitting back wondering what the final score is going to be. We are not waiting for a far off hope of a victory. Now we are operating in a victory currently because you see the words of Jesus on the cross were not, it will be finished, but it is. It is finished. The victory has already been won and the invitation is for us to walk in victory in this life. We don't have to wait until we die for victory. I think that's why there are so many sad Christians because they're waiting for victory. The victory has been won. We get to walk in it now. We get to operate from a place of victory now, not a striving for victory because we are not the ones who have to win it. He already did. We're not victorious of what, because of what's going to happen, but because of what has. Living victoriously also means that we cannot focus on the immediate, but we have to remember the ultimate. What has happened today, I'm sure is a shock to many of you. It was a shock to me on Thursday morning, let me tell you. If Austin Barnett gets in touch with you at 7 a.m., you know something's up. I knew something was up. That man does not do early mornings. It was a shock. And I'm not ashamed to say that. That was my human emotion, right? Even in the immediate aftermath, the few days afterward, my mind was still reeling like yours probably will be for the next few days. But my focus is not just on the immediate. My focus is on the ultimate. What is God's plan for me as an individual long-term? What is God's plan for this church, for this house, for the long-term? Yes, I will take care of immediate needs. I will be here tomorrow morning bright and early doing what needs to be done. We will do what has to be done in the immediate because of what we remember is going to happen in the ultimate. And that is that God's kingdom will come to earth, but it will come through you and through me and through local churches. That's how his kingdom will come. Victory has already been won, and we have to remember that as the ultimate. And listen, there is no victory without adversity. Yesterday, all those football games that were on television, they were not won before the team stepped foot on the field, right? They were not won because a team had the best stadium or the coolest looking uniforms or their cheerleaders said the right words. Why were those victories won? 
Because those people went out there and they ground for four quarters and they overcame everything that came against them. And that's what you and I are doing now. We are overcoming what is coming against us. We are grinding. We are not giving up in the first quarter or the second quarter. We are going to grind until this thing is over. And it is over when Jesus Christ comes back for his bride, when he comes back for this church and not one minute before then. I want you to think about what we know today in 2019 of Jesus Christ, the story of his life. We have the entirety of scripture, right? Guys, I pulled back my old life application study Bible that I used to use a long time ago. This thing weighs more than my children do. My huge Bible here. We know because of this word what has happened with the life of Jesus Christ now right? Like we're, we're looking on the outside. We're from the outside. We're looking in. We know the things that happened. We know that Jesus died, but he was also resurrected. We know that he was put in the tomb and the stone was placed in front, but we also know that it rolled away, right? We have the luxury of knowing that though his body was placed inside the borrowed tomb where Joseph of Arimathea put him, we also know because we live in 2019 that the father breathed life back into Jesus's dead body and he walked out. We know those things, but I want you to put yourself in the shoes or the, the sandals, if you will, of the people who were living back then, who didn't have the entirety of scripture, who didn't know how things were going to turn out, who had followed him and who had believed that he was who he said he was, who accepted his teachings Imagine how they felt at the crucifixion. They had had such hope, right? They had rallied together. They had followed this man and they really believed that he was the Messiah. And then he is murdered and they are devastated. In that moment, did they see the victory? No, they did not. I'm going to read to you a little bit today and we're not going to have it on the screen, so... Pull it up on your phone, turn to your Bibles. Matt, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 15. I want to read a little bit of the events after the crucifixion. Mark 15, verse 25. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to, to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priest and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. 
Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Listen to what Joseph Joseph does. He bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. Those were the men, by the way. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. You see, Joseph did what you do with dead bodies. What do you do with them? You bury them. The women did what women back then did with dead bodies. They anointed him. They did that because they believed with every fiber of their being that their Jesus was dead and gone and that that was it. When Mary encountered the risen Jesus and she went to tell his disciples, what did they do? They had been mourning, right? They had been weeping and their reaction was that they did not believe it. And guys, this is the important thing that I want to draw your attention to in this story today is that Jesus had told them these things were going to happen. He had made no secret about the fact that he would be betrayed and that he would be killed, but that he would also rise again. You see, his disciples, his followers knew those things, and yet when he was killed, they lost all hope because they focused on what their eyes could see and what their senses told them, and they forgot the truth, what their God 
had said, what their Savior had tried to prepare them for. Listen to these words that Jesus had said to them, y'all. He had said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. He had said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He said, I am with you for only a short time. Then I go to the one who sent me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And he said, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me again. You see, it was not a secret what was going to happen, but his people forgot And you and I can so easily become just like those followers then. We can so easily become people who forget, who disregard what God has already said because we focus on what currently is happening in the immediate. And guys, I am calling us today to be a people who do not forget. There is a lot today that we don't know and that we don't understand. Just like the disciples then, there there are questions and there is confusion and there are tears. Yes. But though there are things that we do not understand and that we do not know, there are some things that we do know. And I want to remind you today of what we do know. We do know that God promises he will never leave us or forsake us. He promises that where two or three people are gathered, he is there. That means he is here this morning. He promises promises us that God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we sing and when we pray together and when we get together in community and when we lift his name, he is filling up those praises with his presence. He promises us that the gates of hell will not overcome his church because he has built his church on the rock of his son and the identity that he has and the sacrifice that he made. What else do we know? We know that when we seek the kingdom first, all those other things that we need will be added to us as well. I want to read something else to you this morning. It's a shorter passage in Matthew the final words that Jesus spoke, because this is something else that we know. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Four Points Church, there are some things that we don't know this morning. But we know that that command of our Savior has not changed. The command then and the command today is for us to go and tell. We know that the vision of Four Points Church has not changed. We are here to reach the least, the lost, and the lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we are going to see lives change happen as a result. We know that we are better together. That we do life better when we do it together. We know some things this morning. And I am calling us not to forget the ultimate because of the immediate. Why are we here We are here to bring hope to hurting people. We are here to usher in the kingdom of God to Greer, South Carolina. We are here to lift each other up. We are here to feed the hungry. We are here, as I said before, to to clothe the naked. 
We are here to help the widows and orphans. We are here to do every one of those things that Jesus Christ commanded us to do. None of that has changed because one position in this church has changed. Somebody say amen. Not one of those things has changed. We are still called to do all of those things. Listen, God is not shocked this morning. God is not looking down at us, wringing his hands going, oh dear, what's gonna happen to Four Points Church? We need to be reminded that he knows, that he sees, that he has a plan, that he will never leave us or forsake us. None of that has changed this morning. So where do we go from here? That's the question, right? What now? Here's my answer. We do the next right thing. We do the next thing that's in front of us and we keep doing the next right thing as it comes. That's all we can do, right? The very next right thing. So what does that look like? Well, that that looks like this week, you're gonna go meet with your community group. That means Wednesday night, our youth is gonna gather here and they're gonna worship and they're gonna hear the gospel preached. Our band is going to practice this week. We're gonna continue to give our tithe and above and beyond that, our generous offering. Because what would happen if each person in this room gave just one more dollar today than they gave last week? Somebody say amen. It would look like planting a seed and believing that God is going to bring a harvest. What else does it look like? Next Sunday, showing up, inviting people to come with you who don't know Jesus and bringing a frozen turkey while you're at it because we're about to feed the hungry and the homeless for Thanksgiving. That's the next right thing. It means in December, you're going to invite your family and your friends to come have pictures made for free with Santa here at Four Points Church on December 14th. That's what it looks like. It looks like, ladies, we're having a Christmas gathering. You better go find an ugly sweater now. Get your best cookie recipe ready because we're going to have some fun. It means coming together and worshiping for Christmas. It means in 2020, we're going to have 2020 vision, and our focus is going to be on Jesus Christ and his kingdom. That's what it looks like. The next right thing. We are still the people of God called to do the work of God. And we will do the next right thing that comes in front of us. The gates of hell will not overcome this place. Davin spoke about what the enemy is trying to do. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what's the verse immediately after that? But I have come, Jesus, that they will have life and have it more abundantly. We're here for the abundant life. We're not here for the division. We're not here for him to steal anything from us, for to kill kill anything in us. He doesn't have that authority. Our Jesus has more authority, and that's what we're standing on this morning because he is the rock of our salvation. I want you to listen to this quote from another author I love. His name is Bob Goff. He says, embrace uncertainty. Some of the most beautiful chapters in our lives won't have a title until much later. We're simply in an untitled chapter. It's just the next season. It is not the final season. We are not without hope this morning. And I am extending an invitation for you right now in this moment to make one of the two choices that I put before you. Will you step forward in faith, believing that God is going to use this house to bring his kingdom to earth, to bring people into his kingdom to change lives? Or will you cower in fear and let the enemy have his way? Those are your two choices and you will be known by your fruit And that choice will be made today. What I'm going to invite you to do is to make a public stance of your choice today. 
if you are a leader in this church especially, I'm gonna ask you to make a public display of your choice this morning. And I'm gonna invite you to come down here to this. We're gonna make it an altar. Come forward in just a second and we're gonna pray together. We're gonna pray a prayer of dedication, dedicating ourselves and this place to the work that God has for us to do. Don't come unless you mean it. This is not one of those peer pressure situations. I only want you to come if you are dedicating yourself to the work that God has called you to do in this place through Four Points Church because if we each commit to that, there is nothing that God can't do through us. And I believe that. I am not without questions, but I am not without faith. My God is bigger than an uncertain season. You come forward if you desire as we pray. Heavenly Father, we are yours this morning in every sense of the word. We are your people because we are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. But we are also your people because we are choosing in this moment not to run when things get hard not to step out because there's uncertainty, not to look away or say that's somebody else's situation to deal with, but to take authority in the name of Jesus and to say, you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so this morning we are giving you our full selves. We are giving you every piece of who we are. We are giving you our time to do whatever it takes to bring people into the kingdom to give you our finances and say, I will invest in this house because I believe in you more than I believe in the security of my bank account. We will say, God, I am here to serve. What can I do to help? We will not cower in fear. It is for freedom you set us free. And we are walking in freedom this morning. The freedom to say, God, I don't know, but I don't have to know because I know you and you are enough. You are more than enough for me. Father, would your spirit fall on this house this morning? God, would you do something in the hearts of these people this morning? Would you do something in the life of this church this morning, God, that we would not have anticipated? God, we believe that what is to come is better than what has been. That your plan for us is even better now than it was just a few months ago when we thought things We're headed in the direction we wanted them to go. And once again, we're coming before you humbly saying, we don't have a clue, but God, you do. And so we will follow you one step at a time. We will do the next right thing. God, reveal yourself to us. You are not a God who delights in hiding his face from his people. And so we are saying this morning, we are begging this morning to see your face in this. We are asking and begging for your presence in this, your peace in this. God, we trust you. I am speaking those words on behalf of these people in front of me this morning, God. We collectively and individually trust you. We follow you no matter what. You are our Savior. You are our Redeemer. You are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. You are the God who sees. You are not the author of confusion. And so we banish that from this place. And we say the blood of Jesus covers us. We worship you, God, this morning with all that we are in this moment. We worship you in the middle of the hardship and the struggle and the pain because, God, you inhabit the praises of your people. And so we are asking you to inhabit this place this morning. Fill us this morning, God. We are worshiping you with everything. We will follow you 
no matter what. God, we love you, and it is in your name that we pray. It is in your name that we serve. It is in your name that we give. It is in your name that we sacrifice. It is in your name and your name alone that we do anything as Four Points Church. Jesus, it is yours. It is your bride, and we trust you to take care of it. Amen.